We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat and Jason. The NBA Finals are knotted up at one to one. The draft is like three, less than three weeks away on June 23rd. Bulls sitting there with the number 18 overall pick, of course. We're going to have a draft preview podcast with our boy, Brian Schroeder. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian J Draft. That's going to be coming to you next week. I think we're going to record that. Uh, a week from tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that one hitting your feeds. But today, Jace, we're going to talk about a trade rumor going around on the NBA internet involving the Bulls. Chicago is reportedly interested, or at least there's some smoke connecting the Bulls, to yeah. Rudy Gobert. This was first floated by Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer and then was parroted by Jake Fisher at Bleacher Report. Now, neither of these reporters worded the rumor as if it's like absolutely cemented to be true. It's more just like rival executives think there might be some smoke to a potential deal based around Nikola Vucevic for Rudy Gobert, likely including Patrick Williams in the deal from the Bulls side to make it work. Uh, This is a pretty fascinating deal on a number of levels, Jason, just because you can debate it either way. And I don't think there's going to be a consensus on if the Bulls should do this deal or not. So fascinating stuff all around. Uh, just curious, like what what's your initial impression of this rumor? Not even whether you would do it or not, but, you know, just when you first heard it, how how did you sort of break it down in your head? And, uh, you know, what are your initial thoughts on it? Yeah. So first of all, I wrote about it a bit at bloggable.com. Uh, so check that out if you haven't. Um, yeah. So I feel like. I think when we had Cody on right before the playoffs, Cody Westland, I think he brought up like the idea of, oh, maybe Rudy, Rudy Gobert becomes available. So this has been something we've like kind of maybe thought about as a possibility, especially with the Jazz 
flaming out of the playoffs in the first round. And obviously Gobert, I mean, Gobert in general, you talk about like whatever polarizing, like this idea for the bulls Gobert in general, I think is polarizing around the NBA as a three-time defensive player of the year. He's going to be 30 in a few weeks. He has a five-year, $205 million contract or something like that, about $40 million a year. Uh, he had a, he just had a really good statistical season. He averaged like 15 and 15, like led the league in rebounding. He's obviously, uh, he was up there again for defensive player of the year. Really, really damn good player. And the Jazz has been a damn good team for the last how, however many years they've been in the playoffs, but they've never gotten past the second round. There have been the rumors about him and Donovan Mitchell kind of not getting along. Now, obviously, with Quinn Snyder stepping down and there have been trade rumors around him and Mitchell, was Mitchell going to ask out? If they try to build around Mitchell, will they try to get Rudy Gobert? It's just a lot of stuff going on there, making him polarizing just because how much is of him is his flaws to blame for the Jazz's failures in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, again, he's a great regular season player. If the Bulls traded for him, I think he would undoubtedly make the Bulls a better regular season team and probably, I mean, just a better team overall. Um, but as we've seen in the playoffs, there are times where you can take advantage. And this is the thing with all centers. And we kind of, we kind of talked about with Vooch last week as well, just like, and paying centers big money. How like, should you do it? If they're not like the Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic unicorn type player. And Rudy Gobert is not, I wouldn't say he's a unicorn. He's obviously again, a great defensive player, but limited offensively in terms of, he can't really do much outside of the paint and doesn't have a jump shot. Can't not really much of a playmaker. And then defensively, while he is a three-time defensive player of the year, the best rim protector in the NBA, when teams go five out and he's dragging him away from the rim, that takes away his effectiveness. And teams do that in the playoffs, or certain teams at least. And so, like, is that kind of guy worth that kind of money? Is he worth giving up whatever? Vooch, Patrick Williams, a first-round pick. I mean, I, uh, I know Tony Jones, the athletic, the jazz guy, like, he was even like, I mean, why would the, why would the jazz do Vooch and uh Patrick Williams and others were like they, they probably would want even more and they're in the report that from Jake Fisher says even also says like it's unclear if the Bulls would even want to trade Patrick Williams so again like I do appreciate that Jake and he did this with the DeMar and Zach thing too making it clear and like transparent that this is like what other teams are talking about and like rival execs he brought that up and it might not be something like the Bulls are like really seriously considering was again he, he said he had no idea if they would trade Patrick Williams in this case uh, it seemed like they did not want to do it for Jeremy Grant before the deadline. He brought that up. So like, it seems like this could just be a situation where like, it would make some sense for the bulls to look into Rudy Gobert. If they're, if they want a better defensive presence, maybe get a w- more well-rounded team. Although you do have concerns about the offense and like the spacing with DeMar, that kind of fit the bulls offense sucked. They were terrible against the bucks. Uh, there were some other reasons for that as well. Zach being hurt with Lonzo being out, but uh, so it's it's like an interesting scenario. I think it is very polarizing just based on how polarizing Gobert is. Polarizing because of the Patrick Williams situation where Patrick Williams is still a theoretical impact guy down the road, two-way player that the Bulls could theoretically really use. But right now he just kind of is not any good at all. He's obviously still super young. Like when will he ever develop into that guy? What is his actual potential? You don't know. The Bulls have already pushed in so many chips on the core already. Do they push in even more for Rudy Gobert, who is going to be 30, who's going to be making like 40 million a year and has these flaws. It's a very, it is a crazy or not crazy, just like a a very interesting conversation to have. Uh, I think in certain ways, like I think you could say like, why not just take a chance uh, even though Gobert, like 
I've had conversations with friends and other people who like I say, oh, you, that Gobert's contract is awful. I don't think you could say that's awful. Like he helped, he's helped the Jazz win a lot of basketball games in recent seasons. He's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. If you're if you're giving that kind of production, your contract isn't awful, even if you have some of these flaws. So it's like I, I I'm legitimately torn on like if the Bulls should really go after this, like if they should include Patrick Williams and in trade like this, and if it's Vooch, Pat, and like a first round pick, Vooch, Pat, and Kobe, like if that's even enough. I'm curious, like what Gobert's actual value is around the league. Because I think in Kevin's KOC's piece, he talked about like what if the Celtics like offered up like Time Lord, Grant, uh, Derek, Derek White, and like a pick. I think Aaron Neesmith was like the other one. Like, I mean, I feel like they, the Jazz would rather have that than like Vooch, Pat, and whatever, a bad picker like and Kobe. Like Grant Williams is already a proven difference maker defensively. Derek White also, as well, is really good great role player and like those the bulls offer is just kind of shitty like the pad is still theoretical vooch isn't expiring and he's 31 so it's like i just don't know if it's an actual if there's an actual match there but it's certainly at least something fun to talk about uh obviously i just brought up a ton of stuff there so ricky where is your head on this uh yeah i guess first of all if gobert is available and it sure seems like he's going to be this offseason unless Donovan Mitchell decides that he wants out from Utah and Utah ends up, you know, sticking with Gobert, dealing Mitchell. That's the only scenario in which Gobert's like not available this offseason. At least that's how it appears to be so far. So Gobert, like you said, is about to turn 30. He has a contract that will cover him through his age 33 season. So not too old in terms of like He's how in his prime he- right now. Yeah, basically it should cover him through the end of his prime. He's making 38 million next year, 41 million in 2023-24, 43 million in 2024-2025 and has a player option which he will surely accept for 46 million in the 2025-2026 season. So like I said, that's going to cover him through age 30, age 31, age 32 and age 33. Gobert, when you have him, you essentially have a top 10 defense under yourself. He is known as the best rim protector of this generation, and he's been a dominant force on the interior defensively for Utah, essentially since they've drafted him. Uh, I think that the big difference between what Gobert has been in Utah and what he could be in Chicago is the presence of Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. Gobert has had some of the worst perimeter defenders in the league in front of him over the last couple of years in Utah. And like always, Jason, the center gets more blame than he deserves, really. Uh, In Utah, when they lost to, I think, the Kawhi-less Clippers in the playoffs two years ago and their shortcomings in the postseason this year, the story has always been teams going small against Utah, Gobert needing to defend a shooter, and then the Jazz perimeter defenders breaking down you know, allowing easy drives to the basket. They lost to Dallas this year, and it was just Jalen Brunson and Luka Dons. Or Luka was out that series, right? But Jalen Brunson. Three, in first three games he was out, Luka played like yeah. half that series. Brunson in particular yeah. was amazing that series. Dinwiddie was good. And they were just dusting the Utah defenders off the dribble, getting to the basket. When you have Maxi Kleber at center for the Mavs, you know, Gobert has to respect the shooter. And this has just basically been free cheese for offenses going against the Jazz in the postseason the last couple of years when they go five out. Uh, with the Bulls, if you could get Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso to actually be healthy for the playoffs and for the majority of the regular season, 
those three guys alone should give you the foundation of a top five defense. Absolutely. And I don't care if you have Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan on the floor with them, two players who do not have a good defensive reputation. Uh, the Bulls should have a top five defense with Lonzo, AC, Gobert. And that's not even to mention someone like Io DeSumo, who showed really impressive point of attack chops defensively as a rookie and should only get better in the coming years. You just wonder about the other end of the floor. And what's concerning for me is that the Bulls have been a team that just hasn't haven't had enough shooting this year in three point rate. Uh, the Bulls finished dead last in the league. They were 30th overall in three-point rate. They only took 33.2% of their three, 33.2% of their shots from three-point range this season. Now, if you go by you know three-point attempts per 100 possessions, Vooch was taken 6.7 threes per 100 possessions. He was essentially their fourth highest volume three-point shooter this year behind Lonzo, Kobe, and Levine. In terms of the regulars, then it's Vooch. So while Vooch's three-point shot regressed this past season, I think he was about like a 31% three-point shooter, somewhere around there. Uh, he is still someone who can get up threes. And getting up threes was a huge problem for the Bulls last year, particularly once Lonzo went down. So given how the Bulls' offense is built around DeRozan's mid-range attacks, you wonder, like, do you need right. a center who can space the floor there and be able to step out, hit a jump shot, allow some more room for DeRozan to get into his mid-range bag? Vooch can do that. Even if Vooch isn't hitting at a consistently high percentage, he will shoot threes. And we saw it in the postseason against the Bucks. We saw it, you know, basically since the Bulls swung the trade for him. Gobert is never taking a three. Gobert is a straight rim protector on defense and a lob threat on offense. He's setting a screen, he's rolling, he's catching the ball, he's dunking. That is the extent of Rudy Gobert's offensive skill set. And the frustrating thing about Gobert, from the perspective of Jazz fans, is he has been in, unable to punish smaller yes. defenders in the postseason. You know, when uh, the Clippers are going five out in the playoffs two years ago, I don't remember who Gobert's assignment was. It might have been Terrence Mann. It might have like been someone Batum. else, whoever it was. Marcus I feel Morris. like Batum was playing center. Batum. Yeah. It's like, Gobert, you got to punish these smaller guys on the other end. He hasn't been able to do that, so that's sort of the crux of the problem. I will say, like I said, I, he's obviously limited in his offensive skill set. There have been also the criticisms of Donovan Mitchell and their other guards not, not, not getting him the ball like times where he's open open on those lobs or on those rolls and they're just not giving it getting in the ball uh obviously again Rudy is not like you're not dumping him consistently the ball and he's like making like dominant post moves they're just not not his game but I think there were times where it was obvious where they were missing him open like there'd be like screenshots on Twitter it's like Rudy wears wide open against a small defender or like with no one around him or he's against a small defender they don't even bother like passing it to him so I think there was I think there's probably blame to go both in several directions and and in that's in those scenarios yeah so in turn but like in terms of Gobert as an overall player Gobert's really good I mean yeah. he's probably still without question a top 20 impact guy in the regular season in the playoffs, that impact has fallen off a little bit. Still a very good player, though, and I think in some aspects he's a victim of his poor perimeter defenders in front of him. Now, we do see just, like, hunting bad defenders in the playoffs time and time again. You know, you got to figure if the Bulls were to swing this trade, Gobert is going to be looking to go against a five-out lineup. The other team is going to be dragging DeRozan or Levine, assuming Levine resigns. 
into a pick and roll and attacking them that way. So there's going to be problems, uh, even if the Bulls were to swing this trade. You wrote on Bloggable today, Jason, that you are genuinely pretty torn yeah. on this potential deal. You know, people come to us for takes, Jason, and <laughs> I feel like uh, our takes need to be hot. They need to be a little hotter. <laughs> but I'm with you on this one where I'm a little bit torn. I'm not sure if the Bulls should swing this trade or not. The more I think about it, though, the Bulls would improve in the short term without question, I think, with this I deal. think so, too. Coming into next season – there's really no evidence that Patrick Williams can be even an average starter. It might behoove the Bulls to try to target a starting caliber power forward this offseason with their mid-level exception, even if they retain Patrick Williams. Not so much as to like push him for competition, but just like to get another good player on the team who has some size, who has some shooting ability. Uh, And, you know, Pat has been too hesitant as a shooter since he's come to Chicago. That has really hurt him. I think the Bulls could absolutely use a knockdown sharpshooter at the four just to give the team a chance to compete when it turns into a three-point shootout. When you have a total inability to even get up the attempts you need from three to compete, uh, it it just puts the Bulls in a big handicap situation right from the get-go. So, I am a little bit torn on this, Jace. I can be talked into it for sure, but I think ultimately it would make the Bulls better next year. I look around the East, though, and the question is like, now I'm sounding like Nick Friedel. Is it getting them over the (laughs) top? Like, you know, you got Boston. They're not going anywhere. You got uh, the Bucs. They're not going anywhere. The Heat. But what the Bucs and the Celtics have in common is they have giant lineups they can throw out with huge size. And the Sixers have Joel Embiid. In the Sixers have Embiid, of course. So having someone like Gobert to go up against those front lines would potentially be really interesting. The difference, though, is that a lot of those front lines offer more versatile offensive skill sets than what Gobert offers. So I think there's there's a lot to work with here. Like if the Bulls were to make this trade, and I don't think they will, I'll get into that in a second. But if they were, they would need a sharp shooting four. Oh yeah, and then you have and to more just. Off wings, more. nude shoot, more shooting wings off the bench too. Absolutely, yeah. You took the point right out of my mouth. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's a fascinating deal at its premise. I texted a bunch of people about it when it came out. Some people were hardcore in favor of it. Some people were hardcore against it. Very polarizing. <laughs> Gobert, in particular, is a polarizing yeah. player, and you know who else is Vooch. But I think Gobert is a more impactful player than Vooch for sure. In a vacuum. Yeah, Vooch is arguably, well, he's definitely a better fit offensively with Levine and DeRozan because he offers some playmaking that Gobert doesn't offer. He offers some shooting threat and some spacing ability that Gobert doesn't offer. But defensively, you got to think, like, if you have Levine and DeRozan as your two best players, don't you sort of need a center who can clean up mistakes? And Vooch, while he's not a bad defensive center, he certainly is not the type of center who is going to be cleaning up people's mistakes when they get blown by. And Gobert at his peak can be that. So fascinating deal. Yeah, I mean, just another- I mean, just think about this. Like, if you if they're line, if they did make this trade, say it's Vooch, Pat, and either Kobe or whatever picks something like that. The Kobe and picks part is like irrelevant for the Bulls next season. Uh, I mean, if you're like closing lineup, you're you're starting or closing is basically. Lonzo, Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Gobert. 
Like that's badass. Like that team will crush in the regular season. Or if you bring in a stretch four, who's really good. And you, if you mix and match sometimes, if Caruso is on the bench down the stretch and you have a stretch four in there, depending on matchups, like, I mean, that team will kick some regular season ass. At least it should. Like that's a team that should win 50 plus games. Uh, if they stay mostly healthy, uh, again, you, you do just worry, uh, about what happens come playoff time. Maybe that is just us being like, uh, I don't know, too greedy with where the bulls are at right now. Like you just take the really good player and go bear and maybe, and you see what happens in the next couple of years. And maybe you'd make changes down the line. Obviously tomorrow's 32. Who knows how much he has left in terms of being a high, high, high quality player. But yeah, I mean, next season, if you make this trade, the bulls would be really good and would probably be able to threaten regular season wise as one of the top teams in the East. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you worry about getting stuck with Gobert's contract if it doesn't work? Like, let's say the Bulls make the deal, they lose in the first round. Then you still got three more years of Gobert where he's making, you know, 42 million or more on average. We've seen players like Russell Westbrook get moved, but that's a guard. There has been a hesitancy to pay centers big money. And, you know, like the Suns wouldn't even do it with Aiton, and he's like 21 or 22 years old, you know, do you worry about getting stuck with Gobert? Like if you don't, if this isn't good enough to get you to the second round or to like make a meaningful jump up the standings. Like, I still think think if he's healthy enough, like that his impact that someone should trade for him. Like I said, I was having this argument with some people that like, I feel like his value to some is just like cratered so much. uh, This was of the, the, the playoff stuff and what's happened to the jazz. But like, again, he's like, 
been the centerpiece of one of the best defenses of the NBA for years. He's like, a, he's a, he does some good things offensively as the rim roller and as a great screen setter. So like, it's not like he's a guy who's like 35 and like washed making 40 million. Like he's still, he's in his prime and a top defensive player who helps you win a lot of games in the regular season. Like if you have the right team around Rudy Gobert, like you can even at him making 40 million, you can absolutely win a championship. Like if you, if you have stud, if you have a stud wing to go with him, like Donovan Mitchell's good, but he's Donovan Mitchell's probably just not quite good enough. Like for, for those two to be that good. And then obviously like, I mean, the jazz have other problems. We mentioned the perimeter defense, like, and Mike Conley's been, looks kind of washed. Like Bogdanovich is like fine, but he, I mean, he's making big money. I feel like you could win. You can absolutely win. If like Gobert's like, even if he's making whatever 35, 40 million as like your third best player, maybe your second, depending on yeah. who your number one is obviously the bulls don't have that legit number one, which makes it more complicated, but like they could still win a shit ton of games with like a, those top three guys plus Lonzo Crusoe. I mean, ultimately, the Bulls are still searching for that top, top level of guy like Gobert or not. They still don't have it. So, like, do you the question is, then, do you again cash in what you have now? You've already cashed in so much. Do you cash in this Patrick Williams ship? Is Gobert the right guy? We asked, was Vucevic the right right guy to trade all that stuff for right now? It's looking like maybe not. But now maybe do you use him and then Pat, your other big chip and maybe even something else now to, to get Rudy Gobert? Like, is that the right move? I don't really know. Like in the coming years, like, like would it be better to go to use to try to get Aiden or to try to be better, maybe a smaller move instead, rather than using Patrick Williams or something else like, and trying to, and saving maybe him for another shot at another disgruntled star, another guy that gets traded in the near future. These are all the things you get away when you're looking at these situations. And it's tough. Like I said, that's why I am so torn because the player is polarizing. The bulls are in kind of a weird spot. Vooch is polarizing Patrick Williams and his potential and kind of where he is, is just such a weird spot because like, like the, again, Patrick Williams theoretically is like, would be a great, would be an awesome guy to have in the playoffs as a two way, big two way wing who can shoot, maybe provide a little off the dribble juice, but he just hasn't, he's not an impact guy. We just don't know if he'll ever become one or when he'll become one. If he does, like he's still so young. So just like, all these factors together make it such a weird situation. You said earlier that you don't think this trade will happen. And I mentioned how it just seems like it might not be a great match either, just because of maybe how the jazz value Gobert, how the bulls might value him and what they might want to give up. So why do, why do you think this trade will not ultimately not happen? I got one more point I want to make. Okay, and yes. I'll get into it. So the bulls downfall last year happened for two reasons. In my opinion, the injuries, obviously they're in first place on February 1st. They're in first place at the all-star break. And Three quarters of the way through the season, first place. The inj- 71% of the way through the yeah. season, yeah. And then the injuries really tanked them. But I think what really hurt them as well was standing pat at the trade deadline, not doing anything at the trade deadline while Boston improved, while Philly improved. Pretty much everyone else in the East got better, but the Bulls didn't do anything. They sat on their hands, and I really think that that came to hurt them as the stretch run came about. Will AK learn from that mistake and maybe try to make a more bold move this offseason. Now, we've seen in Karnaschovas and Eversley ten, 10 years so far, they're not afraid to, like, overpay for a guy that they want. So if they think Gobert's the guy they want, I have no doubt that they would be willing to include Patrick Williams, Vooch, whoever else, if they're ready for, you know, to make that level move. But you also have to realize all the public comments Karnaschovas has made since the end of the season and even going back to the trade deadline have all been based around continuity. 
If you trade Vooch for Gobert, your team suddenly looks a lot different. Those two players, Vooch and Gobert, have to be utilized in completely different ways offensively and defensively. You know, your defensive scheme is sort of based around Vooch's limited mobility. Gobert can do so much more defensively and is just a terror at defending the rim. And offensively, you got to change the scheme around quite a bit because Vooch had a pretty big playmaking burden and a pretty big floor spacing burden this past year on the Bulls. They can't do that. So that that's one reason why I'm a little hesitant to think the Bulls are going to do this move because AK in the front office has con- constantly preached continuity. The other thing this comes down to is your evaluation of Patrick Williams. And this is where it gets really tricky. He gets hurt in what, the fifth game last year? Played 71 games as the youngest rookie in the NBA the year before that. So in total, Patrick Williams has played 88 career NBA games in the regular season and then five in the playoffs, I guess. Uh, We have no idea what we have in Pat, but it would behoove the Bulls to have a a strong and confident evaluation with him. Because, yes, Patrick Williams is very young. Yes, he was the number four overall pick in the NBA draft. But at a certain point, Jason prospects just become players. And at this point, Patrick Williams is still just a prospect and all of his value is tied to whatever your draft evaluation of him was and whatever we think he can theoretically be. But if he has another bummer year in his third year, Jace, his trade value is going to absolutely plummet. This happens with every young player in every sport. You know, you could have a blue chip baseball prospect who's a top 10 prospect You could have the ability to trade him for a superstar. You don't do it. You want to hang on to him. Well, if he has, you know, two mediocre or bad years, now suddenly that trade value we once held is no longer there. It's the same thing in basketball, of course. And with Patrick Williams, like this is very much a prove it year for Pat. His trade value is going down the tubes if he doesn't have a very good year. I'm not saying that he's going to have no value, but I don't think he's going to be someone who can get you, you know, an above average or fringe all-star level guy which you might be able to get right now for him just based out of his potential. In terms of Pat, I've said it on this podcast a bunch of times. I think he's misused by Billy Donovan. I think he's much better playing with the ball in his hands. When Donovan wants him to simply space the floor, be a spot-up shooter, that's like the weakest part of Patrick Williams' game to me. And I don't really see that changing in his third season. I hope I'm proven wrong. But it's just difficult for me to believe that a guy who has been such a tentative shooter is going to become a dude who just lets it fly every time he has a sliver of space. Where I do think Patrick Williams has some upside is as an on-ball creator and live dribble passer. When we've seen him have the keys to the show, he's been really good. I would like to see him get in that role a bit with second units next year. When you got DeMar on the bench, let Pat handle the rock a little bit alongside Io and Zach Levine. I think that that's where he could have some upside. The other thing with Patrick Williams is, you know, could you use him as a small ball five? We just saw Dallas go on this great playoff run by using Kleber, Kleber as a small ball five. You sort of need that type of guy in the postseason, yeah. right? Like a dude who's a little bit more mobile on the perimeter, who can space the floor, and who can also hold up inside and provide at least a little bit of rim protection. So I think, you know, last year when Derek Jones was logging all those minutes at the five for the Bulls, those would have been Pat's minutes if he was healthy. He wasn't healthy after the wrist injury caused by Mitchell Robinson, and we never really got to see that side of his game. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, Jace, but what I keep coming back to is the contract for Gobert. And Matt, 
of your friendly Bulls blogger made this point today on Twitter. I totally agree with it. It's very hard to see the Reinsdorfs paying DeRozan, Levine, and Gobert those salaries. You know, Gobert over 40 million. Levine's going to be about 40 million. DeRozan is a damn steal, like, you know, around 30 million. Uh, It's just hard to imagine the Reinsdorfs doing that for a team where you're just sort of hoping, all right, second round, like, let's just take a baby step. Let's improve. And I would totally be into a Gobert deal. I think, I think I would, I would probably do it, but I don't think it's realistic because it's too expensive of a roster for a team that doesn't clearly have championship upside. I think that's a total loser mentality to be clear (laughs) from the Reinsdorfs, but I just have a hard time believing the Reinsdorfs are going to pay for a team based around DeRozan, Levine, and Gobert. Are the the Bulls one of the teams grumbling uh, about the Warriors' competitive spending advantage and (laughs) Joe Lacob shelling out all this money for this team? I saw that report. I think it was from... I think Zach Lowe claimed that their NBA team, like owners complaining about the Warriors spending so much and like salary cap rules allowing them to do it. Uh, I wonder if that's Jerry Reinsdorf, one of those guys. Yeah, I mentioned that at the end of my thing at, at Ad Bloggable. Is that like it, you have, like just as a whole aside, basketball stuff aside, like would they be willing to pay that kind of money for those like that top three? And then you have Lonzo making 20 million. And then, I mean, you'll need other guys to fill out the roster. Then will, will they use all their avenues to fill out the roster and like go into the luxury tax for stuff like that. Uh, history says they won't, they won't, especially for yeah. a team that like is not a guaranteed title contender. Uh, so you do absolutely do have to wonder about that for sure. Um, also, I mean, I guess just like from the, let's look at this from the jazz perspective here for a second, I guess, because I do want to just, because again, I mentioned how Tony Jones from the athletics said, like, he doesn't see like Vooch. He sees Vooch and Patrick Williams as like nothing for the jazz. Like, how much do the Jazz actually value Gobert? Does does that actually matter if Donovan Mitchell says either you need to trade him or I'm gone? Uh, like, what do you think other teams would be willing to offer? Like, if we're like putting Bulls offers on the table compared to other teams, like uh, I mentioned that Celtics idea that Kevin O'Connor came up with, like if they put Grant or whatever Time Lord, Derek White, I can't remember, I think a few other things on there as well, like. Do you think even there is a match there that the Bulls and Jazz could like come together on agreement there based on what else is out there uh, in terms of on the market? Well, my initial thought to hearing that, and Kevin, of course, grew up as a Celtics fan, and I'm shocked that he would propose that deal of Time Lord plus other stuff. I think that's what it was. It was something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't do that if I'm Boston, especially after how good they've been this year. And, you know, with some of Gobert's shortcomings in the postseason. So I'm surprised at that. Now, it mostly comes down to, like, how the Jazz would feel about Vooch and how the Jazz feel about Patrick Williams. If you think Patrick Williams is a star in the making who didn't get to show what he could do because of the injury in, like, five games in Chicago last year, then, you know, maybe the Bulls' offer stacks up better than some of the other teams. But, you know, a team like Charlotte, I think, would be able to put together potentially a strong offer. I think that they would just be a great fit for Gobert in general. Uh, you know, there's just definitely an opportunity in the league right now to win the championship. I don't think the Warriors are nearly as intimidating as they were at their peak. The Celtics are very good, but the Celtics are not unbeatable. So teams that are thinking this is our opportunity to go for it, you know, it's not the same as it was when Durant was on the Warriors, when it was like, okay, we can't beat them. Let's just build for the future. Now it's like, 
you look around the league and there's a lot of teams going for it. There's a lot of teams that want to try to win the championship. The Bulls are absolutely one of those teams after trading all their future picks to get, you know, this core. So I do think that the Bulls offer would likely be able to be bested by another team. But it comes down to what Utah thinks of Vooch and Patrick Williams, more importantly, probably. So my gut tells me that there'd be a better offer on the table yeah. for Gobert, but it's tough to say. Bringing up Tony Jones again, like he literally just tweeted. Someone tweeted him, if it's Vooch, Kobe White, and Williams, I at least consider it. And Tony says, I wouldn't. That trade does nothing for the Jazz. It was like, I mean, the Jazz are just in such a weird spot again, because whatever, the Gobert, Mitchell stuff, they've had these failures. Quinn Snyder just, just stepped down. Like, I don't know how, like, would they, tr- if they like don't even get a good offer, would they just try to run it back again? Like, I wonder if that's even tenable at all. Or like, but even if, like, even then, I still, like, again, yeah, if you look at that, like, Vooch is an expiring 30, what, 31 years old, declined last year. Kobe White has like such little value. And like, you have Donovan Mitchell already. And like, so another, and they have Jordan Clarkson. Like, so like, what is Kobe White doing for the Jazz? The perimeter defense sucks. They don't need another just like gunner, short gunner guard. And then, yeah, Pat, like they'd have to really think he's like totally worth it. To, and then, I mean, maybe even that you Bulls have to throw in a draft pick too. Like, and that's getting to be a lot for the Bulls, like Vooch, Kobe, Pat, and like a pick. I mean, that's a lot for Gobert. Uh, so like, it just, again, it just seems like it'd be a tough match to figure that, uh, to get something there. And yeah, Charlotte's an interesting team. They've been looking for a center for a million years. Um, so yeah, makes for fun fodder. Uh, I guess you never say never, like, uh, you never know, I guess what happens with the market and what happens with, I mean, Danny Ainge running the jazz now, who knows? And maybe, maybe Danny Ainge fucking really loves Patrick Williams. And like he would do that. Maybe the bulls would actually go in and they were able to, to make a deal. But, uh, I definitely am skeptical that something like this would actually happen. But, uh, again, sometimes stuff, shit, crazy shit happens in the NBA that you don't really expect. So who knows? (laughs) Got anything else on this? I feel like we've kind of gone over most of the most of the angles there. Um, before we wrap up, just any quick thoughts on how these finals have been going so far? It's obviously one-one, crazy comeback for the boss Boston game one, Warriors big game third quarter in game three again, and this time they blew just blew them out of the water. Finished the third quarter strong, one-one going to Boston. Uh, I've been was on Boston before the. Before the series, I still kind of believe that. You are obviously really leaning Warriors. Do you still – has anything changed in your mind about how this series will go? Yeah, I think Boston's a better team. Now, can the Warriors still win this series? Absolutely, I think so. I guess my main thought is, like, what a great series this is, and it's going to be. The rest of the playoffs have pretty much been super disappointing, marred by injuries and blowouts. I really think that this series is going to live up to the hype. Now, granted, we got a blowout in game two, but that was a two-point game at halftime. Yeah, it was good for – and then the Celtics just got to figure out how to not suck in the third quarter. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I wrote about this at SPNation.com, but the Warriors in the third quarter, going back to even 2014, the year before their first championship, they've just been killing teams in the third. So, you know, the third quarter Warriors is a thing. That's going to continue to be a thing couple factors that I think will decide the series. One, like, what does Clay Thompson have left in the tank? They were able to win that game, too. Without a great Clay performance, he's just struggled in this series overall, I think, so far. So, like, you know, how much is he going to be able to give you on both ends of the floor? I think that'll be a big swing factor. And then Jordan Poole was horrible Horrible. in game one. And then in game two, he's, like, taking half-court pull-ups and he just really (laughs) was able to get into his offensive bag a little bit more. 
So their ability to sort of let Poole cook on offense while hiding him on defense for Golden State, I think is going to be super important. I loved what Golden State did in game two, basically saying, Tatum, you can beat us. We're not going to let you get everyone else involved. In game one, Tatum was three of 17, but had 13 assists. Of course, Derek White, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, all those guys go off. Well, in game two, Tatum had like almost 30 points, but he only had like three assists. And Smart, White, and Horford just couldn't get going offensively. And the turnovers. So what's the counter for Boston? Yeah, and the turnovers. Not throwing the ball over the place. (laughs) It's going to be a big thing for both teams. Both of these teams have turnover problems uh, oftentimes. And I think I still favor the Warriors just because I don't trust the Celtics offense. I trust the Warriors defense more than I trust the Celtics offense. But, I mean, throughout the series – I have gotten the sense that Boston is the more talented team and should probably win this series. I think Udoke is a great coach, but you know, Steve Kerr has been pushing some of the right buttons too for golden state. So I'm still going to go with golden state. I think it's going to be a great series and can't wait to see, you know, the continuation of this chess match as the series plays yeah, out. And obviously hopefully we get some like actual close games. Like game one was obviously like, it was close, and then it was a blowout, and then it was kind of a blowout the other way. But obviously, with the Celtics coming back, they're like, it was close there in the fourth quarter before the Warriors just fell apart. And game two just turned into a blowout. Hopefully, we get some crunch time action. I feel like we will. These teams are, I feel like, pretty close. I have, like I said, I've mentioned it. I kind of lean towards Celtics in terms of being the better team as well. Celtics, yeah, they got to stop turning the ball over. They just have these games where they just can't fucking hold on to the ball, and it's crazy. Uh, it's, all playoffs, it's happened. But they have bounced back. Every time they haven't lost consecutive games in these playoffs yet. I don't know if the Warriors have either. Uh, both teams have been really good, like dealing with adversity for the most part, coming off losses and bouncing back. Uh, and the Celtics have had, I feel like just these crazy, some of these crazy shooting games that they've had a few outlines. I mean, the game seven against the Bucks, the game one here with the, I mean, they made their first seven threes of the fourth quarter, hitting ridiculous shots. Some of it was wide open looks too, with good ball movement, but like you got Derek White, hitting some of like those contested threes and Horford hitting six threes total, like some of this crazy shit. They just, the Celtics just seems like they, like they have that the fucking luck of the Irish with them this year and that they're, they're like destined to win. But I guess you could say that with the Warriors too, like almost a team of destiny too. So I don't know. It should be, I hope this goes seven. I would love to go seven. Hopefully we get a game seven at the chase center. Uh, what is that? Like the ninth sun, a couple Sundays from now, but uh, we'll see. I think, I think it should definitely be close. Like I, I didn't, I can't see this ending. Ending in like the, I can't see somebody winning the next three. It should go to at least six, and hopefully, we get seven games in this. I called the Warriors a team of destiny on our last pod, and someone immediately called me out on it <laughs> after game one on Twitter. So, appreciate the listeners for yeah. making sure to throw our bad I have, predictions back in our face. I genuinely mean that. Like the fact that people are listening all the way through, that means a lot <laughs> to me and to you as well. So, We'll see, Jace. I think if we're both calling each team a team of destiny, clearly that is a totally bullshit reasoning and framing for why a team's going to win the championship. Uh, So we should probably walk that back. But it's going to be sick, dude. I can't wait for the next game. And I have been a little bit starving for ball in terms of the NBA playoffs uh, with these multiple day breaks between games. Thankfully, the Chicago Sky are rolling. Big win over the Mystics recently. Uh, They got... Kayla Copper back in the mix. So Kalia Copper, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, tune into the WNBA, tune into the sky. They've been pretty fun to watch so far this season. We're going to get more into that once the draft and free agency wraps up a little bit. 
I've got a bunch of draft coverage at SB Nation. I published a long profile today of Patrick Baldwin Jr., former top five overall recruit, went to Milwaukee to play for his father instead of taking a scholarship offer for Duke, had just a terrible freshman year, re-aggravated an ankle injury, put up really poor numbers in his 11 games. He might slide out of the first round now. I still kind of think Patrick Baldwin Jr. could be a pretty good NBA player because he's 6'10 and a half. He should have a very sweet shooting stroke. Could potentially be an option for the Bulls at 18. I gave him to the Bulls in my pre-combine mock draft. So go check that out. I'm also going to have a post on Jaden Ivey in a like a breakdown of his game tomorrow uh, and why I think that he's just a really awesome guard prospect. Should be a top four pick for sure in this draft. We'll see if the Kings pull the trigger on him at number four or if he even goes earlier than that. Uh, so a lot of good stuff coming up. Make sure you're following the sky. Our draft pod next week with Brian is going to be really fun. So look for that in your feeds. I think we're going to do that next Wednesday. And yeah, busy time of the year with basketball, Jace. Absolutely. Love it. That'll do it for us here at Cash Considerations, a Shireables podcast. As always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Please go check out all the other great content across the Blue Wire Network. For us here at Cash, please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings. Uh, that helps out on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, all those good places. You can follow me on Twitter at Bulls underscore J. Also, I, as I mentioned before, I wrote this thing about this Go Bear Rumors at SB Nation's Bloggable. Go check that out if you haven't. And then you can follow R- Ricky at SBN underscore Ricky. As he mentioned, Patrick Baldwin Jr. feature, all his other great Jeff coverage and all this other great stuff at SB Nation. Uh, so yeah, that'll do it for us here at Cash Considerations, a Wolves podcast. Enjoy these next couple games of the finals. We will be back next week to talk about the NBA draft, or unless there is any big news, maybe we'll hop into an emergency pod. But otherwise, we'll be back to talk draft next week. Talk to you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.